you haven't found um, Mark chapter 5 yet, it's on page 710 of the Church Bibles. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came near. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, Christine. Well, friends, it's great to be here. And can I just start by saying a really big thank you to everyone. Pip and I are very aware that many of you have been praying for us. Many of you have helped get our house ready, uh, given us meals, welcomed us in and said hello. Um, And there's all sorts of other things that I'm sure we're not aware of. So I just wanted to start by saying on behalf of Pip and I, really, thanks so much. We've really felt the T&E love since we've been here. It's been great. And if you're new today, you might have noticed it's my first time preaching up here. Uh, And ever since we knew we were going to come over to TNE, I've been thinking, you know, what might I get to preach on the very first time? What might it be? Will it be a great passage that deals with God's love for us? Will it be a passage where we get to wrestle with how the cross affects all of our life? Maybe something about the all-encompassing glory of God, but no. No, we've got Mark chapter 5. So the first thing I get to say to you then is that we live in a world of fear and death. Very chirpy for your Sunday morning, isn't it? Yeah. They say that one of the most personal questions you can ask someone is, what do you fear? So let me tell you about one thing that I fear. Sharks. There they are. I'm scared of sharks. And look, I've heard these statistics that say I'm more likely to die at the beach from a coconut falling on my head, but it does not cure my fear of sharks. I grew up about 200 metres from the beach, and so we were semi-regulars at the beach, especially in summertime. And I remember this one particular day. I was in in the water, had a couple of family friends who were bodyboarding, having a good time, and then I saw it. This fin cutting through the water. My heart rate tripled in that instant. I started, I, I had to resist myself from just going straight to try. I grabbed the two guys that were with me and said, guys, we should go in. Let's, let's head on in. And we start paddling back to shore. And I kept looking over my shoulder. Where's the fin? Where's it? It's still there, still there. Not coming towards us, just going across. So we paddle, we paddle. Finally, we make it back to the shore. And I sit down, catch my breath. And I turn around. And what do you think I saw? A pot of dolphins frolicking around, having fun. And I felt like a goose. But I am, I'm just afraid of sharks. And although that's true, we all know that there's something that I fear, something more deeper than I fear. Let me tell you about one of those. I love my daughter, Eva. 
She's 16 months old now. She's a bundle of fun, a bundle of energy, uh, and I love it a bit. But if I'm honest with you, I do have those moments when I get horribly afraid from her. When Pip got pregnant, it was lots of fun for us. Uh, it was a great joy. Thinking about, what do we call her? What's she going to be like? Uh, how will it change life? It was great fun, but there were times, moments, when I'd stop and think, what if she doesn't make it out? She came out fine, really healthy baby, is great. And now that she's out, I, I love it. And, and one of the things I get to do is I get to put her to sleep every night. It's really fun. She gives nice cuddles now. Put her in the bed. But there's the occasional moment, occasional night, where I think, you know, what if she doesn't wake up? I know it's silly because I know God's in control and I know I shouldn't worry like that, but sometimes in those moments, I get really afraid for her. I feel the fear, the fear of death. And these are some big themes to be dealing with today, fear and death. And so I want to acknowledge for some of us, this could be particularly hard this morning thinking about this. But it's important that we dwell on these things. Fear and death are part of the reality of our lives. And God here, through the Bible, I think is helping us get to understand our world properly. And when we do, I hope we'll have an even greater appreciation for the Lord Jesus. So before we go any further, I'm going to stop and pray for us that God would help us to grow in our love for Jesus today. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you're here with us now. Thank you that we can hear your voice through the Bible. And please help us to listen now to your words. We want to pray that the words I say will be the words that you have said. And as we listen to what you say about fear and death, please help us see things as they really are. And please grow us in our love for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Mark chapter 5 is painting a picture of our world. It's not a picture of bright colors and sunshine. It shows us that we're living in a world of fear and death. In just a quick overview, you can see it in the three people that we meet. There's a demon-possessed man, a sick woman, and a dying girl. And each of them show us that we're living in a world of fear and death. In the case of the dying girl, that's quite obvious, isn't it? She's dying. Of course her world is a world of death. And for her father, it's a world of fear. But the demon-possessed man and the sick woman, they actually show us the same thing. They show us that we're living in a world of fear and death. You can see in the description of the demon-possessed man in verses 3 to 5. Right? This man has impure spirits living in him. And because they're living in him, his life is a life of death. He lives where dead people live. He lives in a graveyard. There's a constant self-harming that's going on, as if he's trying to speed up the process of death. It's, it's really horrible, isn't it? I mean, this is sad stuff. And on top of all of that, there's these villagers who don't really think he's worthy of living a life like the rest of us, and so they try and chain him up all the time. This man is a man of death. And it's the same for the sick woman. Have a look at the description of her in verses 25 and 26. 
for the last 12 long, agonizing years, she's been bleeding. And most likely, that's some kind of menstrual bleeding. She spent her life savings on many doctors. But each time she goes to see a doctor, they only make it worse for her. They only increase her suffering. So here she is, penniless, in pain, and she's only getting worse. Her future is no brighter than the little girl's. They're both going to die. If the man before had demons of death, this woman has a disease of death. Mark 5 is painting a picture of our world and that picture is that we live in a world of fear and death. That's the world Jesus is in and well look, don't we live in that same world today too? We live in a world where a Syrian city can go from looking like this to a couple of years later looking like this because of war. We live in a world where on Boxing Day a family can be travelling together only for somebody else to crash into their car. At the scene, mum and dad die. A few days later, the older sister dies. Uh, Sorry, younger sister dies. Older sister clings to life for a few weeks, but then she also dies. We live in a world where last year, Pip and I are about to go away on a weekend retreat and... We're walking to our car and we meet our neighbour who's coming the other way. She's about the same age as me. She just stops and she tells me, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. She wanted to give us a key to her house so that if the paramedics had to come, they could get in without breaking her door down. We live in the world of fear and death too, don't we? If that's where we stop today, this would be very pessimistic and there'd be no good news at all. Thankfully, there is far more to Mark chapter 5. Yes, we do meet these three people whose world is a world of fear and death. But each of these people, to each of them, Jesus brings life. That's our second point today. To each of these people, Jesus brings life. Into a world of fear and death, Jesus brings life. You can see this in the part about the demon-possessed man. We've seen how he's living out a death. And as soon as Jesus shows up, these demons of death that are inside him, they know they're in trouble. They know that Jesus is the life given, so they beg Jesus, 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 please don't send us out. Please don't torture us. Uh, Send us into the pigs. What? Pigs? Why pigs? Why would they want to go into pigs? And for that reason, why does Jesus let them go into the pigs? I don't have all the answers here. But I do think it shows us one thing, doesn't it? It shows us that the demons really did bring death. What do they do when they go into the pigs? Straight away, the pigs die. They drown. That's the nature of the demons. They bring death. And there's a whole army of these demons of death in the man... But Jesus brings life. Jesus gets rid of death and he replaces it with life. Remember what this man's life was like before? He was running up and down the mountains, living in a graveyard, cutting stuff. He's crying out all the time. It's chaos, right? It's crazy. 
But what's he like now? Look at verse 15. The man who had been possessed by the legion of demons was sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. This man who was living out a death now has life. And this isn't something that happened off in a private corner where nobody could see. And you the whole town, the whole countryside came to see. They, looked, they got the message from the pig herders. They could see it with their own eyes. This man who was living out death, he really had been, he had been brought life. And he was given life by Jesus. And so what do the villagers do? Do they rejoice and throw a party? They say, hey, Jesus, come over here into our city. We've got more people who, who could help you. Do they do that? No, they don't. They don't even really talk to Jesus. They're afraid. They just beg Jesus to leave their place. That's the next thing, next point. Jesus brings life, but he's rejected. Isn't that what we see today as well? People continue to reject Jesus. We can talk with our friends, work colleagues, our neighbours. We can tell them time and again how great Jesus is, how he brings life to us, how good it is to follow him. We can ask them, we can invite them, do you want to, ha- do you want to follow Jesus today? And they can still reject Jesus. I've got a friend I've been talking with. We've been talking about Jesus, a really nice guy. In many respects, he's a pretty normal guy. Although he sees that the, the world isn't right, and so he takes drugs to kind of escape it. And I've been talking with my friend about Jesus. We've read parts of the Bible together, but he still rejects Jesus. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, well, what have I done wrong here? What's, what's going wrong? What's happened? What am I missing? But actually, nothing's gone wrong. Even these villagers who saw the work of Jesus firsthand, even they reject Jesus. So when we tell people about Jesus and they still reject him, friends, don't be discouraged. It's not as if something has gone wrong. It's not a reason to give up. Instead, I want to say today, persist. Let's persist. Because we're going to see in this next section that Jesus is not always rejected. Jesus brings life into a world of death and the sick woman shows us how to accept that life. We accept that life through trust, through faith. That's the next point. We've already seen the woman's condition, okay? She's suffering. Uh, Twice the Bible uses that word to describe her situation. Verse 29, verse 34. Suffering. It's a word of great distress. For her, well, life sucks. Uh, Soon she's going to die. But then she goes to Jesus and she touches his t-shirt and look at verse 29, verse 29, immediately, straight away, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Here is a woman who is dying and Jesus brings life to her. And why? Why this woman? Of all the people that were there, why this woman? Look at verse 34. Jesus says to her, 
daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus gives her life because she had faith in him. And it's worth us slowing down just to notice what that faith looks like in real life. So look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. What does faith look like for this woman? Well, she hears about Jesus. And so she goes to Jesus because she trusts that he can save her. That's what faith is. Simple trust. Trust in Jesus that he brings life. As a younger fellow, I was part of a youth group in my church. And this one time we went on a camp to a national park, this national park, Cathedral Rock. And some, well, on the Saturday morning we went for a hike. But somehow, on the way back, me and a few friends, well, we kind of got lost. We ended up, after walking for a number of hours, in the middle of the bush... We had no idea where we were. Nobody had a clue where we were, how many wrong turns we, should ta- we, we have taken, and what should we do now? And, uh, I don't know, so what did we do? We just kept walking the way we'd been going for the last two hours. It was pretty foolish. And as the sun started to dip in the sky, the reality crept in. Ooh, we really are lost. And at that moment, we stumbled upon a park ranger. This guy was our saviour. He said, if you keep walking that way, you're going to spend a night in the bush. But all you need to do is turn around, take this path, take that turn, and you get back to camp. What do we do at that point? We trust the word of the park ranger, right? And we did. That's what we did. We turned around, we took this path and that turn, and we are back in time for dinner. And our youth group leader, can I say, was very pleased. Now, This might not be the normal way we think about faith. Sometimes we can try and think of faith as something really fancy. But that's all it is. It's just about trusting. We had faith in, we trusted the park ranger. That's what the sick woman is doing in this story too. She hears about Jesus and she trusts that he can make her better. Into a world of fear and death, Jesus brings life. And friends, that life is accepted through faith, through trusting in Jesus. So I want to ask you today, where's your faith? What are you trusting in for life? I first started trusting in Jesus in the year 2000, which for me is easy to remember. I turned this year, in terms of Christian years, I turned 18 years old. Yay. Um, But each day since that first day, 18 years ago, I've been trying just to trust Jesus in my life. And I know I'm not a perfect model of that. I'll stumble. I'll have moments of doubt, moments of sin. I've wavered in my trust. But in the end, well, Jesus has been good. Jesus is good. He's worth trusting. Jesus gives life. I wonder today, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you trust him to do that for you? It's a big thing to ask of somebody else, isn't it? 
to give you life. That's a big thing to entrust to another person. What if Jesus really can't do what he's claiming to do? What if he's just another con artist? But the third story, it blows away any doubts we had about Jesus. This is a section about the dying girl. It, it obliterates any concerns we have of whether Jesus was up to the task. And this is the final point today. Jesus is up to the challenge. Jesus is up for the challenge against death. Jesus shows us just how much we can trust him to bring life into our world. So Jairus comes to Jesus. and He's got a problem, a huge problem. My daughter is dying, he says. She's at death's door. Jesus, won't you come and do something about it? Jesus doesn't need the second invitation. He goes straight away. But they get held up on the way. The sick woman came. There's a bit of a delay. And while all that's happening, there's some horrible news, some devastating news. The little girl is no longer dying. She's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? That's the question. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother the teacher anymore? Well, you bother him because he can bring life. See, Jesus hears what happens, and he's not, he's not worried at all. He remains untroubled. The girl is dead, but Jesus, he turns to Jairus, and look at what he says. Verse 36, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe. See, the villagers in the first story, they were afraid, and so they rejected Jesus. He brought life, but they rejected him. And it's as if Jesus is saying to Jairus, don't be like them. It's the sick woman in the second story. She's the example. Jairus has just seen what Jesus has done for her. And now Jesus tells him, be like her, Jairus. Have faith. Believe. Have put your trust in me. I've got this. And do you notice at this point how Jesus becomes the main focus of our eyes? As you read through the story, the crowds don't get to follow anymore. It's just a few disciples. Jairus himself, the name isn't used anymore. He's just called the synagogue leader. He's just called the father of the, the, the girl. Our eyes are being focused in on Jesus. And like a horse with blinkers, our vision is being narrowed. So he looks straight at Jesus. And look at what he does in verse 41. He comes to the girl. She's dead, lying on her bed. And verse 41 Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up and immediately, straight away, at that moment, the girl stood up and began to walk around. Are you seeing this? Right here, right in front of us. Here is a visible demonstration, friends of Jesus' complete and utter power over death, of his complete power to bring life. Jesus is up for the challenge. When he tells the dead girl to get up, what happens? Straight away, she gets up. Death cannot argue with Jesus. The life giver speaks and death flees at his voice. Jesus is on a mission to bring life, friends, and the clutches of death cannot stand in his way. So how good is Jesus? Right, how capable is Jesus? He's up for the challenge. 
He's the one we can trust to bring us life. It's important to say at this point, Jesus isn't promising that his followers will be free from suffering and death. He's not saying, look, Christians, just come over here. Now, look, I'm going to do everything. Don't worry about death. Don't worry about, don't worry about sickness. Don't worry about suffering. I've, I've got it covered. No, 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 that's not what's happening. Because we still live in a world of fear and death. But friends, take heart. The Bible is showing us that Jesus has he's broken into this world. He's broken in and he's brought life to us. And you can be sure of this. There's a day coming when Jesus will return. And on that day, Jesus' promise of life will be completely and utterly realized. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And you can be sure, you can be sure that's going to happen. You can be sure because Jesus himself has gone through death and come out the other side alive. See, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee, the sure promise that we too can enjoy eternal life. So my friends, have faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus. He's the one who's able to bring life into a world of fear and death. Trust Jesus. Now, if you've been around for church even for a short time, you've probably heard something like that before, right? Yeah, Jesus brings life. Yeah, trust Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. So it can be easy for us just to pass over how significant that is. So in preparing to talk from Mark 5 this week, I've got to tell you, I've been struck afresh about how good Jesus is. How much I would have loved Jesus. Uh, I've been reminded how good everything he does is. And he does it for us. What else can help us in our world of fear and death? What else could be a solution? We've got a great hospital down the road. Maybe we can make it better. Maybe we can train more doctors and nurses. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can go on a good diet. Get my exercise schedule happening. Maybe I could just get health insurance, just in case, you know, just in case. And none of those things are bad. Those things are really good. But in the end, none of them can actually be the real solution, can they? They only just delay the inevitable. But Jesus, well, he brings life, life into a world of death. So I want to say, let's value Jesus, right? Let's rejoice. Let's treasure the work that Jesus does for us. He is the one who has power over death. And in those moments where we are faced with fear, we are faced with death, in those moments, what's our instinct? What's our knee-jerk reaction? Well, it's, it's Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus has the power to bring life. Politics, that doesn't bring life. The power of people and social movements, they don't bring life. Jesus is the one who brings life, right? And so what do I do with those fears that I have about Eva? Those fears that come every now and again. You know, what if she won't wake up this morning? What do I do with that? As much as I can, I want to help her get to know Jesus. 
I want to help her get to know that Jesus brings life. And as much as I can, uh, as I can, I want to help her trust Jesus. Prayerfully, I want to help her put her faith in Jesus too. Because I know that if she's trusting Jesus, well, then I know that death will never win. Death will never have the final say. And so you can see, can't you, why it's so important for us to talk to other people about Jesus. We live in a world that's trying to escape death, is trying to escape death and trying to escape being afraid of death, but it can't. On its own, it can't. It's powerless. We live in a world that needs Jesus. And so we want people to know Jesus. In those hard moments where we're confronted with fear and death, when, when everyone else is quiet and kind of not sure what really to say, in those moments, we've got a message to speak, don't we? We've got a message of life. And sure, you know, we want to be careful. We want to pick our time up. We want to be gentle. We want to mourn and grieve like we should. But we also want to speak about Jesus. Our world is a world of fear and death. And into this world, Jesus alone brings life. That's a person worth trusting, right? That's a message worth spreading. So I'm going to stop now and pray that we do that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow the knee to Jesus this morning. When we're faced with death, we can do nothing on our own but fear. We praise you then that Jesus gives life. We praise you that into our world he gives life and we thank you that that life has come to us. Father, for all of us, for all of our days, please help us to trust Jesus. And as we long for and look forward to meeting him, we pray that you would help us speak about him. And we pray that others, we pray for the northeast that many here through us might come to hear about life in Jesus and they too put their faith in him. Father, we are powerless to do this on our own. And so we're asking you today, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.